I do have to laugh, uh, doing this by myself from up front. And, and the band is nice enough to sit here. I really appreciate that. Um, and we have the sound people up in the booth and people doing video. And thank you all for your service. I hope that as we come back together in person, that this congregation will thank you all personally and graciously for all that you've done and continue to do for us. But I had to laugh. I got partway through the Lord's Prayer and lost my place. And I can't see the screen because the lights are in my eyes. So it's great to, great to do this. Um, bear with me. Our text this morning comes from John's Gospel. We continue. What's really odd is that right after um, we're told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we end up moving right to John. And we're introduced to John the Baptist. And um, he was asked, as, as Chris said earlier, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And John says, no, I'm not. Um, but the one who comes after me will be. And, um, and then the gospel writer says this, verse 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who has sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom the Spirit descends and remains is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Pray with me. God, we do pray that as we hear your word and approach it, that, uh, that we're changed. Humble us so we might hear your words and your word to us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was an amazing statement by John the Baptist. This amazing statement that the sin of Adam and Eve is really what we're talking about. The, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's taking away the sin from the garden. The sin that said we would judge for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. That we would take our own counsel above all others. C.S. Lewis writes about this sin. He says that the sin of the world is pride. Listen to his words from mere Christianity. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Human wisdom is in the grip of the sin of the world. It's in the grip of pride. 
Leslie Newbigin reiterates it in his, his commentary on this, just saying again that we are in the grip of the sin of the world, this sense of pride. Because of this, we can't overcome it through our own will or imagination. It's not something we can think through and get to on the other side because we have this imagination that's been captured by the sin of pride. You see this in the universal look at Western values before Jesus. So in ancient moral discourse, Aristotle was one of the prime uh, thinkers. And his categories of vice and virtue ruled the day. Pride is not listed, and nor is humility. Two of the major things that Jesus talks about in terms of virtue and vice, pride is vice, humility is virtue, are not part of the ancient world. They come to us when Jesus comes to us. And the grip of that is on us. Think about it. Pride. Pride is competitive. Pride is not content in being rich, but richer than someone else. It is not content with power, but being more powerful than someone else. It's not in being beautiful or smart, but being more so than others. It is at the heart of war. Pride has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and family since the world began. Just look at Cain and Abel. It grips the religious most intently and most insidiously. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. And unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. That's from Lewis. He's done some great thinking on this that I find really helpful. How is it, he says, that pride, that people who are quite obviously eaten up with pride can say they believe in God and appear to themselves very religious. I'm afraid it means that they are worshiping an imaginary God. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good above all, that we are better than someone else, I think that we are being acted on not by God, but by the devil. It manifests itself in that we believe that we are better than others. I'm better than you. I know more than you. And I make sure you know that. I use it as a power play in meetings. I use it as a way of getting my way. I exert power and pride over and against because I'm better. I'm even better than I was before, better than that person over there. I'm nice, but I'm not made new. Lewis again says, the devil laughs. He is perfectly content to see you becoming chaste and brave and self-controlled, provided all the time that he is setting up in you the dictatorship of pride. 
just as he would be quite content to see your warts cured if he was allowed in return to give you cancer. For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Pride is not enjoyment in the success of a child or being praised by another. So don't get me wrong here. Pride isn't um, just somebody's excited for you or somebody says, um, you know, great playing on the piano, Chris, or, or Craig, um, you know, the banjo was okay, um, or something like that. Um, pride isn't getting excited by that or even receiving that. Pride's not telling a child that you admire them or you want to praise them for doing something. That's not it. To admire anything outside yourself, Lewis says, is to take one step away from utter spiritual ruin. Though we shall not be so well so long as we love and admire anything more than we love and admire God. If you admire something other than yourself or your own wisdom or your own intelligence, and you admire something else more than yourself, then you are taking one step away from the sin of pride and one step towards humility, towards God. But it's not enough. It's simply a step. And God's asking us to come and admire him. We sang the song, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. I think we're going to sing that refrain again in a little bit uh, to close this service. But it's that sense of, do we admire God? Are we able to get outside of ourselves enough to admire something but ourselves? So how do we do that? How do we get there? The solution is not reasoned. We don't get there by thinking about it. We don't get there by reading a book. Our imagination is enslaved. We can't quite get over who we are on our own. It is not something we would come up with. It's initiated by God. It's gifted to us by God. And John tells us in his gospel, as John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are to love and emulate Jesus. That's it. The Christian life isn't any harder than that. It's just being, putting one foot in front of the other, following Jesus, doing things as Jesus does, speaking as Jesus does to others, loving people as Jesus does, giving ourselves away as Jesus does whenever and wherever we find ourselves. As always, we're invited to receive the Lamb of God, adopt His life as our own. It's the only way to lessen the grip of the sin of the world, of the pride of our hearts, our minds, and our wills. This day and the days coming, be gripped by God's love shown to us in Jesus. Pray with me. God, we are gripped. I find myself in this season 
gripped by my own pride, my own sense of I know what's right, or at least trying so desperately hard to make it right in the way I think it should be. God, we ask that you would help us look to you, look only to you, for who we're to be and how we're to be. In Jesus' name, amen.